What's going on, everyone? So glad you made it and that you're taking the time to learn and grow with me today. We have another amazing guest and you won't want to miss it. But first, if you're ready to start creating your own economy and taking back control of your life and your time, start by going to attorneybydesign.com, whether you're an attorney or not, and download the Freedom Blueprint. Jump into my world of alternative investing. All right. A lot of people ask me whether they should start investing actively or passively. And many folks don't really even know the difference. And that's okay. We're all learning here. And if you're in that group, a couple of my earlier episodes describe the differences between active and passive real estate investing. So once you're studied up, here's what I generally advise. Even though everyone's situation is different, you know, if you have a great job that pays well, and you weren't completely miserable, start by investing passively. That was the advice I was given, and I agree. Get your feet wet, learn the ropes, see what it looks like, enjoy the cash flow, the tax benefits, and the capital growth appreciation. Most people at this point see how they can continue to invest in these types of deals and build cash flow and wealth without all the hard work. Now, don't get me wrong, this is a privileged place to be in you have to have some capital to be able to invest in these deals, but they don't take much effort otherwise. Then if you feel inclined to jump in on the active side and start finding and running your own deals, by all means, go for it. And I can help you out with that as well. But just know that the active side takes much more diligence, networking, and most importantly, time. Either way, your successful professional career will not go by the wayside you'll find that your skills, especially for my attorneys out there, are well-suited for real estate investing, both actively and passively. Our all-star guest, John Kasman, has also leveraged his career in marketing to jumpstart his now full-time real estate investing career. John is the managing partner of Kasman Capital, which helps busy professionals invest in real estate without taking on a second job. He's the host of the Target Market Insights podcast and is the co-founder of the Midwest Real Estate Networking Summit. All right, let's go. This is the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, where you'll discover the secrets and strategies of the ultra-wealthy on how they build streams of passive income to give them the freedom we all want. Attorney Seth Bradley will help you end the cycle of trading your time for money so you can make money while you sleep. Start living the good life on your own terms. Now, here's your host, Seth Bradley. All right, John Kasman, what is going on, brother? Welcome to the show. Seth, thank you for having me, man. Excited to be here today. Yeah, of course, of course. Super stoked to have you on today, man. I'm a big fan of your podcast, Target Market Insights, one of my favorite go-to listens. So for all the listeners out there, look it up, give it a listen, give them a five-star rating and review. Um, all right, man, with that, with all that said, I've heard you talk on a ton of different podcasts and different speaking engagements, but tell me who is the real John Kasman? Well, the real John Kasman, please stand up. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> so a couple things, man. I mean, at, at my core, you know, I'm a family guy. I've got two boys and uh, excited to spend as much time with them as I can, five and seven years old. Um, and, you know, really uh, my background's in corporate America. So like many of your, your listeners, uh, I've spent 15 years in corporate America doing marketing. And for me, I, th I think the hardest thing was being at a point where I didn't control my day. I didn't control my future. And anxiety just built in. And I actually worked for companies where I went through 
if you want to call it bankruptcy, I guess, technically, I went through bankruptcy twice as an employee. And the first time was working at GM. So this is back during the recession, right? So I was there when we went through that structured bankruptcy. And then the second time was when I was working for a smaller advertising agency. And, you know, we had a corporate buyout and all this stuff, and it just didn't work out. It went through kind of another um, bankruptcy. And in those two instances, I think real estate kept jumping out to me as like the thing I should focus on. So the first time, that's when I really started to get serious about real estate investing. The second time, I'd already been investing. I'd already built a portfolio. But at that point, it triggered me to go hard and to really focus on scaling, working with other people and creating something where I wasn't relying upon just my W-2 income. Now, I will say that I was fortunate in the sense that I never missed a paycheck during any of those bankruptcies. So I was always employed. I think that probably shows the kind of employee I was, but I never missed a paycheck, stayed employed, um, and I've worked around some great people. So for me, it wasn't like I hated my job. I know a lot of people hate their jobs, and I never hated my job. I loved what I did. I just need to take more control over my future. Yeah, I like that. That That's an interesting perspective. I mean, you saw how fragile companies can be. And that kind of triggered something in your head where you, you started thinking, man, you know, just in case I've, I've got to start building some other other income streams or have kind of a backup plan or something else in mind, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And you're right. I mean, no matter what you do, most people are one paycheck away, right? One paycheck away from being broke. And it doesn't matter if you make six figures, it doesn't matter what you do, because there's lifestyle creep, there's, you know, college tuition expenses, there's so many other things that come into play. So I do think it really takes a mindset to say, you know what, I need to start putting money aside to either save first and foremost, but really to invest because you want that passive income. As you know, that passive income gives you that flexibility and real estate is just a phenomenal vehicle to help you get that. Yeah. What, what kind of uh, investments did you initially go into? So multifamily, I was doing smaller multifamily though. So I did a, a two unit building where I did a, what they call a house hack strategy where I lived in one unit, rented out the other unit, uh, created some equity and that was a phenomenal way for us to get started. I bought a three unit building where we, um, you know, full rent rented out and uh, that went really well. And then we kind of jumped up to commercial real estate. So five plus units is considered commercial. So we bought an eight unit building. And I think at that eight unit building, that was around the time when we started to go through those other financial issues with the company, the bankruptcy. And that, I think, all together was the trigger to say, okay, we're going to have to pivot and kind of create something different here if we want to take more control of the future. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, you did all this while working that W-2. At what point did you get to where you were, you know, able to walk away? I mean, where you were comfortable enough, I guess. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I, I think that there's this this uh, vision people have of like waking up one day with a certain number of month of a uh, certain amount of the bank where you wake up, you've got this money sitting in your bank account and you say, you know what, I don't need this job anymore. I quit. And that could happen for you. But for most people, it just doesn't work out that way. So here's, here's something I will tell your listeners. One thing you want to do is figure out your your game plan. How much money do you need? What are your expenses? What do you need to live off of? And then how much passive income do you need to create? And what really helped me wasn't so much about just having a set amount of money in the bank, because I had two, uh, two boys, right? And they're gonna, they cost money, they, they, they're expensive. Um, you have other things you want to do leisure, all that stuff, right? So the real thing for me was just understanding how I was going to make money going forward. 
So it wasn't so much about having a job. The job was just a job. I didn't really care about the job as much as it filled the need as far as providing income. So if you can replace the income, now you set yourself up. So for me, that's when we started to create different revenue streams and all that kind of stuff to put us in a position to make that transition. So I would tell everyone, if you're just waiting to have enough passive income to come in to replace your current income, that may be a longer stretch, right? But is there anything else you can do today? Is there another way to create passive income? Are there ways to put your capital to work where you can create different passive income streams? Because those things may allow you to make that transition a little faster than you initially anticipated. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you start, you know, freeing more of your time as well, you create more time for yourself to be able to come up with new ways to come up with passive income or to, you know, invest actively when you have more time in your hands to be able to do that. And the other thing people don't think of, they think, okay, well, I make $200,000 a year. I need to replace $200,000 a year in income, but that might not be true because you pay a ton in taxes. That's the big thing with W2 workers is you pay the uh, buttload of taxes, right? So if you're investing in real estate or you have small businesses or something like that, you get tons of tax breaks. So you might not need to make that $200,000. You might need to make way less than that and still get the same amount in your pocket. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's something that we actually looked at as well because, um, because I was doing these larger deals at this point. I was getting these tax benefits, but I couldn't take full advantage of them. So I was having these tax losses building up and then when I looked at it and say, okay, well, here's what I make, but here's how much of that goes to Uncle Sam. If I had my business entity set up, if I had my other investments set up, at what point, like, what do I need to really create to make up the real gap here? And when I did it that way, that number was a lot smaller than I, I thought it was going to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what, what did that transition actually look like, man? Was it smooth sailing? Did you have some anxiety? Did you have to kind of get over some mindset shifts or, or, or what happened there? Well, a couple big things helped. One, I moved. So I moved from Chicago to Cincinnati. And I also was pretty transparent with what I was doing. I'd launched the podcast. I was talking to investors. Matter of fact, my CEO was on my uh, my mailing distribution. So he was getting my, <laughs> my emails on deals and things like that. So they were, they were aware of what I was doing. And I think when I moved, it would, it just made an opportunity for a bit of a clean break. Uh, moving was more of a family move. Uh, we have some business down in Cincinnati as well, but it was really about the family and that just made it an easier opportunity to make that transition. So. Gotcha. So you, you moved to a different city and you're like, all right, there we go. We're, we're diving in head first, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, they, yes, there was a little more nuance behind the scenes, sure, but sure. essentially that's what happened. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. Cool. Well, that's cool. Your, your boss was on your, your mailing list. I don't know if a lot of our listeners could have their, their, their boss on, uh, you know, their real estate investment hey, list. Or be I'm able, not saying be it was a great idea, by the way. I'm not saying it was a great idea <laughs> because uh, I might've missed some other opportunities because of that. But nonetheless, I think that, you know, you gotta, you gotta chase the life you want, you know, yeah. you, you can't be afraid of, losing what you have to gain the life you want. Um, and, and I think there's a, there's a balance there and you want to be strategic about it. And, and that's why I go back to passive income. You don't have to quit your job. I mean, if anything, you know, like you talk about on, on your show here, the best thing to do is create the passive income because that gives you power. And now that you're in power, you control the narrative. If you need that job, if you have to have that job, you know, if you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage, if something happens, that's that's operating from position of weakness, right? Because now you don't control your options. 
So to invest where your money is going to work and anybody who's making six figures, there's no excuses, really. I mean, you need to look at your finances and you need to set aside money to invest right away. So you do that, you now have more control over what happens next. Uh, and I just think that's a really critical aspect of any investor uh, who's looking to free up their time and take more control of their life. Yeah, definitely. Once you start getting to the point where that passive income takes care of your expenses, like you talked about before, you know, at that point, you have a little bit more of a, you know, you're on the, you're flipped the script on the table, right? And it's like, well, at that point, what's the worst that can happen? Um, you know, if you walk away from your job and just go full time into real estate or, you know, dive into a, a passion project or a business that you are interested in, at that point, if your expenses are paid for, it's like, what's the worst that can happen? I, I can pay for my family, I can pay for my expenses. And if, you know, this blows up my face, I can always come back. There you go. You can always get, get another job. And, and one thing yeah. that I always ask myself whenever I'm faced with those tough questions, I always look in the mirror. I don't always look in the mirror, but <laughs> I, I always ask myself, what would you regret? And I don't know many people who would regret going the entrepreneur route or, or at least going for the lifestyle that they really want to create. The person who decides to play it super safe, stay at the job um, and not take that risk. That's something you may wake up regretting. And I'm not saying everybody should quit because I, I don't think that's smart either. I think the plan, as we've been talking about, is create these passive income streams and then give yourself the option. To your point, you know, worst case scenario, things don't work out. You go back, you get another job. You're right back where you were, right? Um, maybe you have to take a little bit less. Maybe you have to go to a different company. But you go get you that W-2 paycheck. That's not the end of the world. Like, that is not a bad thing. There are a lot of people who've been through way worse. So create that passive income so you have a safety net. And then I think you can figure out whatever it is you want to do next with your life. Yeah, for sure. I, and, uh, you know, this, you kind of touched on this already, but let's kind of go through that a little bit. I mean, what are your thoughts on active versus passive real estate investing, especially for somebody that's, you know, just looking to get started? I think the real important thing is understanding what your real goal is. Um, too many people that I meet want to be active when they don't have a desire to build a real estate business. If you don't want a real estate business, a company, systems, processes, employees, if you're not trying to build that, why do you want to be active? Think about it. What are you really solving for? Because being a real estate investor the word invest means I put some money up and I get a return. If you're a real estate manager, that means you manage real estate. You're a landlord. You're a property manager. That, that's a whole different thing. So don't confuse, you know, buying properties and being active with being an investor. It's not. Being a passive investor is a great way to invest because you get a chance to put your money up. You get a chance to learn while you earn and then decide how actively involved you actually want to be. If you are a busy professional, you work, if you work more than 40 hours a week, by the way, you're a busy professional. So if you work 50, 60, you shouldn't be thinking about this. You can, but again, are you just trying to work yourself into the grave or what? If you have lifestyle things you want to do, if you love to surf, you love to fish, you love to hike, you love to play ball, whatever it is, you have family, kids, a wife, a husband. Don't you want to spend that time doing things with those people? Like this, the whole point of all of this is to create freedom and flexibility. And I tell you this from someone who did it the wrong way. I did it active because I didn't know you could be passive. 
And I thought that was the way you invest in real estate. You buy properties, you manage them, you scale, and you do it as much as you can. Well, I distinctly remember on that three-unit property I mentioned earlier, there was a time where we had a unit turn. I got quoted some crazy like $900 to paint the unit. And I was like, I'm not paying $900. I'll paint it myself. So Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, I go get the materials. Saturday, I'm painting. And this is like a May day in May or something like that. And uh, my wife took my son, I believe it was one at the time, and she is um, at the park with him. So here it is, Saturday, it's 80 some degrees. My wife and kid are at the park. I'm doing all this investing so I can have more family time. Yet my family's at the park and I'm in here painting. <laughs> right? And I, I remember sitting here thinking about this, like, dude, what, how did, how, what, what happened? And you have to step back and make sure you're actually prioritizing your priorities. And I wasn't doing it at that point because I thought 900 bucks was too much to pay for painting. So when I finished painting that unit, I stepped back, I had a conversation with my wife and we said, okay, we need to be willing to invest in what we want to invest in. How do I want to spend my time? You know, how do I want to spend my days? Um, and what am I willing to, to offload and delegate and build a real business around it? So I would just tell you that if you are investing just because you feel like, hey, if I'm active, I'll, I'll make more money. Yes, you will make more money. Absolutely. But what's the trade-off? Are you accounting for your time? I didn't pay these guys $900 an hour, but it cost me eight hours on a Saturday afternoon painting. Plus, I still paid up maybe 100 bucks in, in the materials, right? So is my Saturday afternoon an eight-hour day worth $700, $800? Yeah, it actually was. It was worth way more than that. But <laughs> at that time, I wasn't calculating that. I was only looking at the $900, right? So yeah. just, just keep that in mind. I mean, passive investing also doesn't mean... You know, there are lots of ways you can invest passively through um, like joint ventures and partnerships. Um, you could put up capital to a, whole, a, a flipper or a rehabber. You can invest passively in large apartment deals like we do, right? Where you're putting in dollars $50,000, $100,000 into uh, an apartment syndication deal. There are a lot of what you can do it through notes. There are a lot of ways to invest passively in real estate and then decide, hey, what is your skill set? If you've got a great construction background or you're phenomenal at people skills and you want to be a landlord and property manager, by all means, go do that. But if you don't have those skills and you don't love that side of it, why would you take that responsibility on just to make a, a few extra bucks on your investment, but trade off that time? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really comes down to a, an evaluation of how much time you have and how much time you actually want to put towards something like that. Again, you can, you can make more money as an active investor, but you're trading off your time. It's another job. If you're already working a, a full-time W2 and you want to be an active investor, it's a, it's a lot. There's not a whole lot of time left there for you to do the things you want to do and to spend time with your family and really takes away from all the, all the good parts of, of your life. So it, it just takes down to it comes down to evaluating how much time you have and how much time you want to give. Yeah, Seth, you just said it. Do you want an investment or do you want a job? That's that's really what you're looking at. And it's not, I'm not saying one is right or wrong. It's just be clear on what problem you're solving for. And a lot of times people say they want more, more flexibility and all these things. And then they go down that route. And what they find is they, they just signed up for another job. And if you really want another job, there are probably easier ways to go get another job than that. <laughs> definitely definitely what are some recommendations maybe then for for our audience on first steps to take when they're making evaluating this process and where they want to get started 
Well, I think first and foremost, you just got to be honest with yourself about what you're solving for. Do you just want more fle flexibility financially? What's your time frame? Um, how hands-on do you really want to be? Can you be to learning, managing? What's your risk tolerance? All those things. So once you get a sense of what you actually want to do, if you decide, hey, you know what? Passive is the route I want to go. And by the way, this is not a permanent decision. I know a lot of people who start active and then transition to passive. A lot of people who start passive transition to active. So you can change with every single deal. I think as you get more information, you get more comfortable, you adjust, you know, and you you move forward based on what you want to do in that, in that moment. Um, but the first thing that I would tell people is when you are evaluating deals, first of all, just get a general sense of the process, you know, how it works what you should be looking for, things like that. And just since we're, we're very familiar with department syndication, that's what we do. Let's just use that as an example. So um, how does that work? That's one of the first questions. Okay, tell me about apartment syndications. How does it work? Okay, I give you $50,000. What happens? So you want to learn that process, right? And for apartment syndication, you uh, first of all, there's a process whether or not you are accredited or not accredited, depending on the deal. But once you have an opportunity you review that information. If it's something that you want to invest in, you invest $50,000 or $100,000, whatever it is. And then from there, they manage the deal. The operator or the sponsorship team, they manage the deal and they'll send you updates. Now, I'm obviously going to get a very broad stroke, but that's in general how it works. So you'll want to understand the next level of questions, right? It's like, um, how do you know if it's a good deal? And what about the operator? Have they done this before? And all those kind of things. When you are actually evaluating an opportunity, I think there are four things to look for. And what's not on this list is the projected returns. I know everybody looks at the projected returns. How much money can I make? I'm investing. How much money can I make? I think that's an awful way of choosing investments. Looking at projected IRRs, projected cash on cash, those metrics to me are guesses at best. Educated guesses based on something, but wild ass guesses nonetheless, because none of us can predict what's going to happen, exit cap rates and how it's going to perform. So if you're not looking at projected returns to help you make a decision, and by the way, those numbers can be, I'm not going to say manipulated, but obviously they can be adjusted. So if you're not looking at projected returns, the logical questions are what should I be looking at? There are four things you want to look at. The first thing you want to look at is the market. Okay. What's going on in the market? Um, how's population? How's job growth? How's the industry? Is it diverse economy? You want to understand the market. The second thing is the operator. Okay. Who's going to be managing this property? What experience do they have? Um, are they approachable? Can I ask them questions? Like, are they a good fit for me and what I want to do? Are they like-minded with their risk tolerance? Things like that. The third thing is the physical asset itself. Okay, what are we actually buying? What, what is this piece of structure, right? Is this a 100-year-old apartment building? Is it a brand new construction? Is it a self-storage facility? Whatever it is, right? What is the physical asset? What's the physical condition? Um, how is it performing right now? How are the rents? All that kind of stuff. And then the last is going to be the business plan. And this is really important because I think a lot of people skip over this. Whatever you're buying today is fine. Doesn't mean it's going to continue to do whatever it is it's doing, both in a good way and a bad way. So what's the business plan? 
what are you going to do? What's the plan for the operator? What's their vision to help you get that solid return? And you want to just ask yourself, does all this make sense? Based on the operator, the market, the asset itself, does this business plan make sense? Is it achievable? Are there, um, are there examples uh, either in the marketplace or in their portfolio where they've been able to deliver this? Or you can see like, oh, okay, this property is getting this. If we do X, Y, Z, we should be getting that. I think those four themes, the market, the operator, the asset, and then the business plan. Those are the four things that I would pay attention to. Whether it's a 13 IRR or 17 IRR, I mean, those things are going to fluctuate a little bit. Um, I think the real thing is make sure you're making a solid investment based on those four metrics. And you'll be in a good spot moving forward. I love it, man. That is absolute gold. Really appreciate you going through that stuff, man. Um, and you're totally right. I mean, those projected metrics, I think a lot of people that haven't maybe done a passive investment yet, or, you know, they've maybe just done one or two or something. They really just look at some of those metrics and they might just pick the highest one. I mean, you know, they don't look into the team. They don't look into the market. They don't look into all the, these other things that you mentioned. They just look at those metrics and they see a, you know, 22% IRR and they're like, yeah, that one's better than the, than the 18% IRR or something like that. Um, and, and those things don't really matter because I mean, they matter, but it can be manipulated so easy in the underwriting. I mean, just a little bit of a change on that exit cap rate. And those, those numbers go up and down a lot. Yeah. And again, you go back to, you know, maybe someone's trying to be conservative, right. And they're trying to be conservative with their underwriting, their projections. Well, guess what? You get hurt trying to be conservative. So there's a balance on both sides where, you know, you want to make sure you're selecting the right people to work with. And it's, it's uh, unfortunate when, you know, the person who is just projecting the, the biggest returns is the person that people decide to invest with, because that's not a fair representation of the risk. It's not to say that they can't crush it at 22, 25% IRR, whatever, but that doesn't fairly reflect either the risk or the opportunity. So I think you really want to understand all of those components before making an investment. Right. And you just, you've got to dive in. I mean, you've got to start looking at different deals, talking to people, networking, and just get more comfortable with the idea, more comfortable with, you know, looking at different deals to, to see, you know, how they can be manipulated, how they can be changed and, and really put yourself out there from a networking perspective uh, to get a feel for, you know, who these people are and, and kind of get a gut feeling on, on whether or not you want to work with them or not. Yeah. You know, one question I think is really important whenever you're evaluating a deal or especially a deal, but even when you're talking to an operator, um, you should ask questions, you know, and tough questions. And a question I love, I love both sides. I love it. Is how can I lose my money? It's the thing that every investor has in the back of their mind. Very few actually ask it and, and say it out loud. And it's great to focus on the upside, right? All the things that we could do, but where's the downside risk? How can I lose my money? You know, and when you understand how you can lose your money, you start to really understand where the risk, the potential risk is in a deal. And if you're okay with that, now you can see, you know, where the opportunity is. Cause I can show you a new construction deal or something like that, where you, know, you might be able to get a 25, 30 IRR, but you need to understand like, yeah, well here, here are the potential challenges versus a deal where, you know, property exists. It's already been stabilized. Um, it's already making good money in a very desirable location. Well, the risk there is going to be, you know, a little bit smaller, assuming that the loans are similar or whatever. So 
you want to factor in a lot of those things just so you can understand like, hey, where's your risk tolerance truly so you can make the right investments so you can sleep at night? Yeah, that's a great question to ask. Like you said, it, it, it kind of helps you navigate where your risk tolerance is. How much risk are you willing to take for that higher return? And you can start asking the tough questions to figure that out. All right, Absolutely. man, let's, let, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk to you about markets because I know you're a Midwest market guy. You know, what markets are you bullish on? Man, I love the Midwest. You're absolutely right. There's yeah. a report that came out not too long ago coming out of COVID, and it said the hottest markets really are in the Midwest. So Louisville, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, these markets have done extremely well, uh, Kansas City as well, coming out of COVID, where they're very stable. And it's the thing that we keep preaching, even with B-class properties in these markets, but stability is really key. You know, you want something that is a bit predictable in the sense that you can see the numbers, you know that people will want to live there. It's not having these big ebbs and flow. So it's not going to see the wild swings that we see sometimes on the coast, but we don't have those dips. So we're really, really um, steady, steady growth, not as huge growth, but steady growth. Um, and we see a lot of that. So again, those markets that I mentioned, great jobs, blue collar jobs, uh, affordable housing, where there's actually room to push rents. And you saw what happened in California, particularly San Francisco Bay Area. You know, you saw what happened in New York, Seattle, when COVID hit, those rents had to drop because people could not afford to pay that. And the demand fell off. So you saw a lot of that start to take place. And people say, wait a minute, why am I paying $2,000 to rent a 600 square foot apartment if I could either move here and get XYZ. Now, a lot of my people in the coast are like, well, have you been there? Do you really want to live in Kansas City? I get it. I get it. <laughs> Here's the thing I'll tell you, though. When you look at the life stage that many people are at and what they really want and what they do, people aren't doing all those things. You know, they want to be around friends, family. They want a space. They want a yard. They want a home office. And it's those things cost more money in these uh these other cities so the midwest gets slept on and i'm telling you they're phenomenal markets and the cities here are excellent uh, i'm born and raised in cleveland i live in cincinnati i've lived in detroit chicago um people like to make the little jokes about detroit but detroit's a cool ass city if you haven't been to downtown detroit in the last five years go there before you make your next joke. All right. It's a lot of great <laughs> things happening in this city. And again, I would argue from I've lived in Chicago, which I would argue is uh, the best city in the state and the, the country uh, in the summer, only in the summer though. Um, <laughs> winter times are brutal, but in the summer, psh, it, uh, I think it's better than anywhere else in the country. Um, and uh, you go to these other cities and I think honestly, it's like, I'm not gonna say they're overrated because that, that just feels a bit harsh. But if you live in Kansas City or Cincinnati and you go to some of these other larger cities, I'm not talking the New Yorks to LA's and whatnot, but you go to some of these other cities and you was you scratch your head like, this is what y'all fussing about. Cause these these big I'm telling you, these Midwest cities have it. They've got tech, they've got a nightlife scene, they've got great restaurants, you have beautiful scenery, you have four seasons. I mean, there's all of these things. So city to city. I'm willing to fight somebody on that. If you're in Florida, that's different. If you're in LA, that's different too. I got it. Yeah, I know why y'all love that. I get it. But if you're somewhere else and you're talking trash, I mean, you you really need to come out and see something. I just spent the weekend in Louisville and uh, checking out, you know, bourbon country and, you know, sipping some whiskey and checking out one of our properties. And it's a beautiful city with a lot of history, a lot of heritage, a lot of culture. And, uh, you know, it's a fun place to be. And I just think that there's a lot of things that you can get 
in some of these cities that maybe uh, people don't realize. But here's the big takeaway. I'm not fighting every other investor in Texas and Florida, right? So when you think about investing, you invest where it makes sense. The numbers are strong in those markets. I absolutely get it. But the demand for apartment buildings in that market is also just as strong. So it's really hard to find deals that work. Um, and you have to keep that in mind as you're looking at investment opportunities as well. Because if the music stops and multifamily is no longer the hot darling that it has been over the last five years, you want to wake up knowing you still have a great asset that cash flows, that still has strong demand and people want to live in, right? If that happens in a market where maybe the cap rates have been artificially compressed, um, and what that means is just that because demand is so hot, people are willing to pay more money for it. Well, if at some point they're not as willing to pay, those properties may not cash flow. And if they do, it's just going to barely cash flow. In our Midwest markets, we still have really good cash flow. And even if the demand on the backside weighing down, there's still strong cash flow so we can weather any of, the, any of those storms. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got to add San Diego to that list too, man. That's where I live. I grew up in West Virginia, but honestly, San Diego's San Diego number two now. on my list. I got yes. Chicago one, San Diego two is my favorite cities in the country. There we go. San Diego is probably the only place that I would sacrifice all this stuff that you just talked about to live here because every day is beautiful, even though we've got the taxes, the regulations, the no space, you know, all that kind of stuff. It, it, it kind of makes it worth it, especially when we can invest, uh, invest from afar. Yeah, you're right. I mean, listen, you can live wherever you want to live, but just invest where it makes sense. And I would argue strongly that the Midwest is a great place to invest. Even if you love Texas and Florida and these other markets, that's great. Diversify your portfolio, though. You know, you don't want to have all your assets in one market. So take the time to diversify and invest in some other markets. Get a little bit of Midwest cash flow to go with some of that, you know, Texas or Midwest or uh, uh, West, West Coast appreciation. Right. I mean, just balance your portfolio the same way. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Um, before we jump into the Freedom Four, one last golden nugget for our listeners. Um, I, I think just take action. You know, it's one thing to listen to this podcast and listen to folks like me and Seth, but you've got to take action. So figure out the first win you can do. What's something you can do today? I mean, before, you know, you wrap um, the next hour. And that could be something simple to move yourself forward. If you're listening to this, if you're intrigued by what we're saying, reach out to Seth, reach out to me learn more about passive investing. Even if it's not the route you want to take, taking action to actually reach out is a huge step that many people never do. They listen to the podcast, they listen to episode after episode after episode and never do anything. Don't be that person. Reach out and figure out, hey, I've listened to the show or I heard your interview. How do I get from where I'm at today to where I want to be? It's possible. This is not a dream uh, you can absolutely do it, but you have to take action. And one of the easiest things you can do is to reach out to Seth or myself and learn what that next step may be. Perfect. Perfect. All right, let's jump into the Freedom Four. It's time for the Freedom Four. What's the best thing you do to keep your mind and body healthy? Man, I uh, try to meditate and really work out. Uh, if I can do that each day, it, it helps keep me in the right mindset. Same here, man. What's one life hack, can be technology or otherwise, you use to be your most productive self? Uh, Calendly, and uh, I also use virtual assistants, but Calendly is an amazing tool to just schedule and, you know, eradicate the back and forth of meetings. So that's great. And, you know, bringing on virtual assistants, learning how to delegate some of my, some of my projects. Nice, nice. What's one actionable step our listeners can do right now to start creating more freedom? 
Oh man. Um, I think one easy thing that people can do right now is to look at how they spend their time and adjust accordingly. Uh, time blocking is really key. And the, the way most people use the calendar is you let people, other people's priorities fill up your calendar and you don't block time for what you say are your priorities. So if you're, uh, let's just say you're trying to eat more healthy. If you're trying to eat more healthy and you want to eat more home-cooked meals, you need to actually block time on your calendar to say, you know, uh, meal planning, grocery shopping, cooking, just block the time. So actually blocking that time so other folks can't, you know, just let you fall into whatever, you know, firestorm is going on at that moment. That's really key. So I try to block time uh, for my priorities each day. And uh, if you can do that, I think that'll make you much more productive. Nice. Nice. How has passive income made your life better? I mean, it's allowed me to spend more time um, with my family and just be more flexible. Um, you know, I was talking to you before, but I mean, my son's at a basketball and football camp. I just left him, came back to the interview. I'm going to shoot back up there when this wraps and see how he's doing. But I mean, it's the middle of the day when we're recording this and I can, you know, could pretty much be wherever I want to be in time shift. And I think that is just phenomenal as a, as a parent. Um, it's one of the ways I measure success. Uh, I, I grew up as a kid who, I had two blue collar working parents, as you, I know you're very familiar with that. And um, they were, they just did not attend my stuff. I didn't do that much stuff and the stuff I did do, they were not attending, right? They had to work and other things. So I actually had a, had a moment, man, I was looking at the gyms like me and maybe three or four of the parents there. And a lot of the parents, you know, work from home or don't work so they could come, but just sit in a gym with like, I don't know, it was like 50, 60 kids. And I'm sitting there as one of the parents who could just sit there and look at my kid while he's playing. And he looked up when he saw me over and waved and uh, it just made me feel good, man. And passive income gives you that ability. I mean, if there's something that you really enjoy doing, whether it's golf, surfing, um, I, I call it, you know, spending time with the people you love doing the things you love. That's really what we're talking about. That's what we want to do with our time is, you know, do the things you love with people you love and passive income is the greatest tool that I know of outside of being born into it, man. It just inherited it. Uh, but creating some passive income allows you to do that. So it's great. Nice. Yeah. It's about the flexibility, right? I mean, we, I know that you work just as hard as I do, John, if not harder, man, we work a lot, but we have the flexibility to, you know, carve out time when needed. If your, your son has a basketball game or a camp or something to go to, and you want to attend, you can move your schedule around, make it work and go and go see that. Whereas a lot of folks don't have that freedom and flexibility to do that. Yeah, man, it's tough. And, and I didn't wake up there. I mean, just to, to give you a last little antidote, um, I think the last I talked about the two bankruptcies from my corporate career, but the other huge trigger for me was my son's fourth birthday, my oldest son, he turned four years old, and um, I was still balancing the, the real estate and my corporate job. And we were doing a big TV shoot for a newer client. And um, I was a senior executive in the company at that point. And um, typically we would have been staff where someone else could do that shoot, but we were pretty lean and just did not have the staff. So um, I had to go on a shoot and it was his fourth birthday. So I missed his actual birthday and uh, I was on set. I FaceTimed him and I just remember, I think mentally that's when I said, all right, never again. Nope, <laughs> never again. And I was there for his yeah. birthday party and all that. Like it just, it wasn't a big deal to him or the family, but for me, it was just like, you know, I, again, I pride myself of being a, a father, right? It's one of the ways I define myself and define success. So to not be there on his birthday, it troubled me. And um, 
it was something that really made me move forward. So, and, and I think we all need those triggers, whatever yeah. that is. And I, I hope that you can listen to my trigger and use that or someone else's trigger unless you have to have it yourself. But, you know, if you have those moments, that's when I think you realize like, why am I doing this? I mean, I was on a set sitting there like, like no one's going to remember this TV commercial in like a year two two years. Right. Um, and I'm just sitting there, you know, I've got my team and, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I wanted the business and everything to go great, but I also, I did not feel like I had to be there. I think yeah. that's what irked me more than anything else. It was more like a, Hey, I'm more comfortable if you're there. And right. I'm like, right. Cool. But we got, I have a good team. They can do it. And so <laughs> it just really frustrated me beyond belief. And I think at that moment, I just said, you know what, damn this, I'm going to start I'm pushing here. hard on this other thing. Yeah. So. Love it, man. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Hopefully people can, you know, listen and, and share these stories and they don't have to go through, not that that was that big of an unfortunate event, but a lot of people have to have like a massive unfortunate event or catastrophic event happen before they're like, oh man, life is short. I need to make a change here. Hopefully they don't need to go through something like that. They can, they can figure it out and start taking action before that. All right, man. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Seth. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on today. Uh, where can I just find out more about you? Well, listen, I mean, we talked a little about investing. If anyone's really interested in learning more about passive investing, we do have a sample deal package available. So it's, it's really more for illustration purposes. It's not a solicitation, but I think it'll let you look at what a package looks like. Maybe start to get the wheels turning a little bit about what questions you might want to ask and how it works. But you can check that out at casmancapital.com slash sample deal. Awesome, man. Really appreciate that. I'll put that in the show notes. Thanks again for coming on today, John. Thank you for having me. Take care, okay? My man, John Kasman, smooth operator. I love his show, Target Market Insights. If you haven't listened to it yet, I've been a fan for a long time, so go check it out. I also love his insight on investing in the Midwest, which I do as well, and key metrics to look for when investing in your first deal. Major key, understand what your real goal is before you even get started. Do you want another business? Because that's what active real estate investing is. Don't get it twisted. So if you want that, I can show you the way. Or if you want to invest passively and you already have some great active income, try that first. You can even do both. But the key is taking action and getting started. So let's start building some alternative passive income streams together. Go to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com and join the Esquire Passive Investor Club. Until next time, folks, enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to the Passive Income Attorney Podcast with Seth Bradley. Do you want more ideas on how to generate multiple streams of passive income? Then jump over to PassiveIncomeAttorney.com for show notes and resources. Then apply for the private Facebook community by searching for the Passive Income Attorney on Facebook. And we'll see you on the next episode.